Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. I read a book recently by Erwin Lutzer called One Minute After You Die. That's what this series is based on. And he asked the question, what happens to you one minute after you die? Have you ever really thought about that? What will you be doing after life, after this life? Where will you be? Where will you go? What will you do? Who will you be with? Who won't you be with? Will you just cease to exist? Or will you continue to exist? So many questions and many more that we're going to try to answer throughout this series, Afterlife. Now, I'm curious. Um, I don't want you to necessarily raise your, I don't want you to raise your hand, but, but how many of us here, you would say, man, I'm just really not comfortable talking about death. I'm not comfortable talking about the afterlife. And again, don't raise your hand. But for some of you, that, that's very real. And you're like, man, I don't even want to talk about this. Well, my dad and I, we used to talk about this topic all the time. And my dad just used to say this. He just said, man, son, when it's time, it's time. When it's your time, it's your time. And that really came out of it, uh, out of him uh, his, uh, when he was in the Vietnam War, and he had a couple of experiences, really near-death experiences, and he lived through that. And so it kind of shaped him to know, like, hey, that wasn't his time. Now, he wasn't a Christian back then, and, and it took a long time for, for him to come to faith in Christ, but eventually he was saved. And he would read and quote to me Hebrews 9.27 all the time. Again, we just talked about this all the time. And it's probably the only ver- uh, King James Version uh, you know, translation that I've memorized in a verse in the Bible that was King James. And it said this, It is appointed unto men once to die, and then after this, face judgment. And my dad used to say, What does it say, son? It's appointed, Dad. Okay, what does that mean, son? It means, okay, we have a day, you know. And so we would just have these conversations all the time. And so our attitude was, what's the big deal to talk about it? When it's your time, it's your time. You can't change it, so it's no big deal to discuss it. But as I grew up, I realized most people weren't that cavalier about the topic. And for many people, it's it's a difficult topic, Yes, our bodies will physically die, but you, the real you, you never cease to exist. You're going to live eternally somewhere. Now, the Apostle Paul, he talked about this to the Corinthian believers, and he said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and starting in verse 1, he said, For we know that when this earthly tent, now what's the earthly tent? That's a metaphor for this body that we live in is taken down, and then Paul says that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body. Everybody say eternal. An eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. Does anybody relate to that? Right? You're like, oh, I totally understand that. And we long to be in our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, though, we groan and we sigh. Anybody ever do that? Right? You know, oh, man. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, it's because we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Verse 6 goes on and says this. It says, so we are always confident. 
Turn to someone next to you and say, I'm confident. It says we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, that we're not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Verse 8, yes, we are fully confident. Say it again. Say to someone, I'm confident. I'm confident. We are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, these earthly tents, for then we're going to be at home with the Lord. And then Paul goes on, he says, so then what's our goal? What's our purpose? What's our function? What's our reason even for existing here and now? Verse 9 tells us. Paul says, so whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to make a whole lot of money. Our goal is to go on vacation and not have to wear a mask on an airplane. I just need to get on my vacation before everything's changing right now. That's kind of one of my goals right now with my upcoming vacation. I talked to someone yesterday. They're leaving on Monday. They're like, just get me to Monday. Our goal is to be YouTube famous, to be TikTok famous. No, 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 no. Paul says our goal is to what? Please him. To please him. Our goal is to live life, this life, for the Lord. Our goal is to do on here on earth what is going to last eternally. And then he goes on and says this. Because or for, we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Now, Erwin Lutzer said this about judgment. He said, one minute after you slip beyond or behind the parted curtain, you will be either enjoying a personal welcome from Christ or be catching your first glimpse of doom as you have never known it. Either way, he says, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. What you and I decide on this side of the parted curtain, as Lutzer described it, determines our eternal future. That can't change once we die. And we're either going to have this incredible, amazing eternity, or it's going to be awful beyond imagination. Now, the question is, why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about death? Why are we talking about eternity? What does any of that have to do with right now, today, as I'm trying to get ready or you're trying to get ready to go on vacation? What does that have to do with anything about today? How does this topic impact my life today? It's a great question. You see, we're doing this series because, and talking about the afterlife because what you believe about eternity affects and impacts how you live here on earth. What you believe about eternity What you're convicted by about eternity determines how you live this life. Your convictions about the afterlife has everything to do with how you live this life. For example, if you believe that that everything came about by random chance, that there's no God, that there's no eternity, well, then how are you going to live this life? Man, you're going to live this life for yourself. You're going to live this life going after anything and everything you can to please whatever pleasure you have. After all, this is all there is. I need to maximize it the way I think I need to maximize it. Or maybe you think, okay, you know, this life's really as good as it gets, and if there's an afterlife, I'm just going to be sitting around on clouds. You know, and you think, look at that and go, that's not appealing to me, and so I'm going to live for this life. On the other hand, 
If you believe that you were created by Almighty God, and you were created by God and for His glory, and that you are going to live somewhere eternally, based on whatever decisions you make here and now, then that belief, that conviction, will shape the way you live. That, it, that will impact the decisions you and I are making right now. What we believe about eternity will determine how we live today. Now, just a heads up, in the upcoming weeks, we're going to talk about some of these, the afterlife. We're going to talk about the horrors of hell. Is hell actually a real place? What happens there? Who goes there? Why did God even create it in the first place? Is there suffering there? Do we just, is it, does it exist or do we just cease to exist? We're also going to talk about heaven. Who goes there? What do you do when you get there? Is it just some long worship service where you're singing praise songs for eternity and you're like, man, I don't know if that's so appealing? Do you have bodies? Do you recognize people? What do you do in heaven? And perhaps the second most important question, what happens to my pets? But outside of being with Jesus, I think the question that looms on everybody's mind when you think about heaven, and let's just get, just be honest with me for a second, when you think, man, I wonder if we're going to be able to. I, what, what do we get to do? I think every one of us wonders, will I be able to fly? Come on, tell me you haven't wondered that, right? You're like, man, God, I just want to be able to fly in heaven. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to tell you what Scripture says about Superman and flying in heaven. What I want to do today, though, is kind of just lay this out, to set it up, to talk about what happens immediately after this life. And first, the most obvious is that our current physical bodies will die. Again, Hebrews 9.27 is appointed unto us. It's set up. It's a set time. It's appointed unto us once to die. Everybody say die. It's reality. Now, futurologist Dr. Ian Pearson disagrees with Scripture. He believes that, that humans are close to achieving immortality, immortality, that, you know, the ability to never die. He said this, if you can just make it to the year 2050 if you're super rich or make it to the year 2060 if you're, you know, about middle class, that if you can make it till then, there are a number of different ways that you will be able to live forever. Anybody intrigued? For example, well, I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> How is that going to happen? First, it's going to be through, he says, through the renewing of your body parts. He says that through biotechnologies and medicine, that we will be able to keep our bodies, like keep renewing our bodies and rejuvenating them. And it's going to happen through genetic engineering that prevents or reverses the aging of our cells. He says it's also going to happen by the replacing of body parts. I don't know if you know this, but scientists around the world right now are using 3D printers to try to create human organs with live living tissues. In fact, back in March, Dr. Arturo Bonilla performed a surgery on a 20-year-old woman. He gave her a reconstructed ear using 3D printing with a living tissue implant. It's the first trial of its kind, and that's where it's headed. So it's even starting now. 
Second, Dr. Pearson thinks immortality is more likely to happen through robots. So he says, and, and I quote, a long time before we get to fix our bodies and rejuvenate it every time we feel like it, which sounds pretty cool, by the way, a long time before that, we'll be able to link our minds to the machine world so well, we'll effectively be living in the cloud. So that gives whole new meaning to our heads are in the clouds, right? He says, this means that even when our original bodies die, that we're still going to be able to use our digital minds that have been stored on a computer. And so that we will live in this world with the ability to use highly sophisticated and realistic robot bodies while our mind is in the cloud. And for some of you say, well, I don't really care about the robot body. No problem. You can, he says you can spend all your time on the digital online virtual world and basically be anywhere in the world. And he said this, we could all just live in a computer simulation quite happily. And you might know Elon Musk is already working on some of that brain stuff. He's already starting that journey. Now, if you hear all that and you say, man, that sounds great, just make it to 2060, man. Just get there and you'll be good. But for the rest of us who aren't going to make it to 2060, we're going to die. Somehow, some way. Now, for me personally, and, and for some of you, for all of you really, I'm rooting for the rapture, right? And I'm hoping that we're going to talk about the rapture in the fall when we talk about this, go through our series on Revelation. But if I don't get to be alive when the rapture happens, what is guaranteed is my day is appointed, my day is set. Somehow, some way, we will die. Our date is set. Our body came from, our physical body, it came from dust, and our body will go back to dust. Turn to someone next to you and say, you're nothing but dust. <laughs> I actually heard a corny joke, but I heard this was said, the pastor said, you're nothing but dust. And, and, and a little kid turned to his mom and said, mom, why did the pastor say I'm butt dust? <laughs> Some of you are like, okay, I'm catching it now. <laughs> Hebrews 9.27, people are destined to die once. So first our physical bodies will die. Then what happens? Well, then our souls separate from our current physical bodies. Our physical bodies stay behind, but our soul continues to live. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He said, do not be afraid of those who can kill this body, but cannot kill the soul. You see, when your physical body ceases to exist, Jesus says the soul can't be killed. It will continue to live. When Stephen was about to die in Acts chapter 7, he looked up and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Jesus illustrated this truth in John chapter 11 when he was talking to Martha and he said to her, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Everybody say live. You will live if you believe in me, even though they die. I'm talking about physically. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You see, Jesus was talking about our soul, the true essence of who we are. The soul doesn't die. So what do we know about the soul? What do we know about the soul when our physical body dies? The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, again in the, New King, or in the King James Version, he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Everybody say present. 
absent from this body, were present with the Lord. When Jesus was on the cross and he hung between two criminals, they both needed forgiveness. One of them, it appears, uh, um, came to a place of recognizing that he was a sinner and he needed Jesus and Jesus was somebody, he was a savior. And so he turned to Jesus and he said, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him in Luke 23, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now what is paradise? And, and where exactly is it? We're going to talk about that more in the coming weeks. Scripture isn't super clear on it, but what we do know is that paradise is way better than this earthly life. Here's what the Apostle Paul told to the, the Philippian believers. In Philippians chapter 1, he said, he said, Man, for me to live, living means living for Christ. And dying is even what? It's even better. But if I live, I can do more pr- fruitful work for Christ. So I actually, I start, Paul says, I start thinking about it. I don't know what's better. I'm torn between these two inner desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, he says, it's better that I continue to live. You see, Paul said this. He said, I want to be with Christ. I want to be with Christ. Why? Because I know that's better than anything that can happen here on earth. I want you to think about this for a moment. Maybe you've had the privilege to be able to travel to some pretty amazing places on this planet. And if you've ever done that, and it doesn't even have to be the most spectacular, but for you, you went to somewhere that was incredible, that was beautiful, and you might have said to yourself, oh my goodness, as you look out at wherever you are, you said, oh my goodness, this is paradise. This is paradise. You're saying, man, this is beyond my description. I can't imagine this. But Paul said this, no matter what experiences you may have had on this earth, whether, whether you've called something paradise or maybe experiences with other people that you said, man, this is, you know, heaven on earth. Paul says it is still far better being with Jesus than anything you can imagine here. That being with Jesus is true paradise. And yet he says this, he says, I know that because Paul had been actually caught up to heaven, so he got a glimpse But he says this, it's better that I stay here with you because then I can accomplish far more for Christ if I stay. Man, I love that because there's a person who's living with purpose, on purpose and for a purpose. And I just want to ask you the question, could you say the same thing as Paul? Could you say, man, I I can't wait to be in heaven with Jesus and I know it's going to be incredible even if I don't understand it all, but I know it's going to be great. But you know what? I want to be here because I want to make an impact for Jesus. I don't want to just run and get away. I want to be here. I want my life to count for Jesus. I want my life here on this planet to be lived on purpose and for a purpose. Can you say that about your life? What do we know? We know that our physical bodies will die, but our soul is going to continue to live. And then at some point after that, you and I will face judgment. 1 Peter chapter 1 says it this way. It says, remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will, notice what it says, he will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residence. Peter says, man, this world, this isn't it. This isn't your home. We're just passing through. And this thing that we call life 
here on earth is such a small piece of what our total life is, what eternity is. It's a blip on the radar. And at the end of this life, Peter said to these believers, he says, you're going to be rewarded or you're going to be judged. Now, scholars disagree on whether there's two judgments or one judgment. And so there's a disagreement, uh, but regardless of which one it is, the results are the same, whether it's two judgments or one judgment. The, the results are the same. So whether it's, you know, one judgment for two different groups of people or two ju- judgments, one for one group, one for another, results are the same. And the first judgment, or the first part, is called the great white throne judgment. And, and we see in Scripture, in Revelation chapter 20, uh, uh, the apostle John gets an opportunity to see this. And it says in verse 11 of Revelation 20, John says, I saw a what? Notice, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. He said, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. Jump ahead to verse 15. And anyone whose name was not recorded in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. What's the lake of fire? We're going to talk about that more next week, but what's the book of life? Well, when you and I come to a place like that criminal on the cross who knew he was a sinner, knew he'd fallen short of God's glory, knew he needed to be saved from himself and his sins, when he, you know, in that, in that moment, in that sense, he gave his life to Christ. When you and I get to that same place, when we recognize we need a Savior to be saved, and we surrender our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and we surrender and give our life over to Him, when we call upon God and ask His grace to cover us, when we do that, our name, Scripture says, is written into a book, the book of life or the Lamb's book of life. And when your name is in that book, that's saying you're a child of God that the judgment of God will not come upon you. Now, if God looks through the book and your name is not there, Scripture says your next place of residence is not a place you're going to enjoy and not a place you want to be. It's what he called the lake of fire. Jesus says something. It's, it's actually one of the uh, verses that just kind of like, man, this is, this is a heavy verse. And he says this in Matthew chapter 7. It's sobering. He says, not everybody who calls out to me, Lord or Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven who will enter. Notice on what day? On judgment day, there's going to be many who's going to say, hey, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. Man, we went to church. We were good people. We were way better than those religious peoples. We did good works. We put a little money even into the tray from time to time. Verse 23, but Jesus replied and said, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Jesus said, yeah, you did all those things, but you actually missed what was essential. And what's essential is that you have a relationship with me. You knew all about me. You believed in God, but you never had a relationship with me. You didn't invite me into your life to be your Lord and to be your Savior. So, at the great white throne judgment, God's going to look. And he's going to look through the Lamb's book of life, the book of life. And if your name is in there, then praise God, you'll have eternity with God. If your name's not in there, 
He says, there's the lake of fire. Judgment comes upon you. You'll be declared guilty, removed from the presence of God for all eternity. The second judgment, or the second part, is what's called as the judgment seat of Christ. So you have the great white throne judgment, and you have the judgment seat of Christ. And now that is for believers. That's something where Christians will come before Jesus. Paul said this to the Christians in Corinth. He said this, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, he said, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while we're in this body, whether good or bad. So what is this judgment seat of Christ? It actually comes from the Greek word bima, the bima seat. Now, the bema seat was a, was a seat that the judge or, or the official over the Olympic Games sat. And when the games were over, that j- judge who sat in the bema seat would give out the rewards for those who competed. He would give out the prizes to the winners. The bema seat, don't miss this, Christians. It was strictly for those who would come, and it was a place to celebrate. It was a place to say, hey, man, you conquered. You finished the race. You made it. Now you get the prize. There's a reward for your accomplishments. Again, the judgment seat of Christ is for Christ followers, but it's not a judgment of your sins. It's for Christ followers, and it's where Jesus is going to reward us for what we did here on earth, whether good or bad. Now, let's pause for a moment. Because some of you hear that and you're like, oh man, this is a little bit of a trigger in my mind because, oh my goodness, you're telling me that I'm going to be rewarded for what I do here on earth, that I'm going to be saved by my works? No, no, no. You have to understand as you think through this, this is not you're being saved by your works. This is not being saved by those. We're not saved by our works. In fact, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, it says God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So no one can boast about it. So some of you are like, man, I grew up in religion that said, man, it's all about my works. And I came out of that religiosity and I was done with that because I started reading the Bible and scriptures. And I read Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to tell you, you are correct. You are not saved by your works. You're saved by grace. It's this incredible, amazing gift from God. But catch this. You're rewarded for your works. You are not saved by your works. You're saved by grace. But you're rewarded for your works. So works have a place in our lives. They just don't save us. And God says, I'm going to reward you for those. Let me give you some of what Scripture talks about, what you and I will be judged upon and then rewarded for. We're going to be judged and then rewarded for how it is we treat people, how we care for those who are the outcasts, the poor, the broken, the marginalized, the hurting, in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. You and I, we're going to be judged and held accountable and rewarded for the motives behind what we do. We're going to be judged and then rewarded accordingly for the words that we speak. Did you know we're going to be judged and rewarded accordingly for how we endure suffering? Remember we did that message a few weeks back on Job and the suffering he went through. And God says there's something in store for you who who stand strong in the midst of suffering. You and I will be judged and rewarded 
by what we do with the resources that God gives us. Do we use it all just for ourselves and our future? Or do we invest in God's kingdom and God's purposes? You will be rewarded accordingly. You and I will be rewarded according to our involvement in seeing people come to Christ and our involvement in leading people to Christ. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, it says that some won't have many, if any, rewards because your rewards will be tested and they won't stand up to the fire, so to speak. And you'll make it to heaven, but it kind of says as if barely escaping the flames. Listen, if you're here and you just find yourself being more concerned with the world, focusing more on this life, whatever that is for you, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's like your kids and their sports and athletics and, and activities, and that's like your whole life. Or maybe you're focused most on, you know, uh, uh, your, your housing or getting a new house or, or, or on popularity or fame or, or new vehicles or, you know, now you're thinking, oh, i got to get an electric car. Or maybe your focus is on the next vacation or retirement or politics or whatever it is. If you're more wrapped up and concerned about that, the things that don't last, then I want to encourage you, go before God and ask Him to help you reprioritize to help you recategorize your priorities. Go before him and say, God, I want to lay my life before you and I want to be right with you and I want to focus on what matters to you because listen, one day our hearts will stop beating. And once that happens, there's no do-overs. That's why Paul said, I make it my goal, I make it my aim, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. I make it my goal to please him to please Almighty God, that our whole life, Paul says, would be dedicated and devoted to saying to God, yes, Lord, yes. God, that I want your will, I want your way, and that's going to be my priority. Because, God, I recognize what I believe about the afterlife, that impacts the way I live this life. How are you living this life? Are you living in such a way that it reflects what you believe about the afterlife. Now, God said, you can have confidence of knowing where you'll go after this life. That confidence will, comes when you surrender your life to my son, Jesus Christ. And if you have never done that, if you've never taken that step, I want to invite you now to surrender your life to Christ so that you can know with confidence and join the rest of us, knowing what will happen to you after this life. What you believe about eternity determines how you live today, determines the decisions you make today, even right now. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.